congregation, I may teach you God's word this afternoon, as the church has summarized it and confesses it in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 20, which comes under the title of God, the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification. And let us read then Lord's Day 20 together. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits to comfort me and to remain with me forever. And so far, the catechism. And after the teaching of God's word, let us respond in song. Let us sing from Psalm 119, stanzas 37, 38, 39, and 40. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Since Pentecost, we have been living in, in what has been called the age of the Holy Spirit. Since then, we can say that the work of the Spirit has exploded. The work of the Spirit has extended far and wide. You can say the Spirit's work has gone international from Israel to the nations and the work of the spirit has intensified for each one of us he's to live and work in each one of us but how how does the spirit work in each one of us yes many claim today that the spirit works in all kinds of of ways shamas may seem very foreign Especially with today's charismatic and Pentecostal movements, which started only a century ago in the United States, this talk of need to be baptized with the Spirit. As those caught up in these movements say, you and I must first believe in Jesus Christ. That is the first blessing. But what you and really you and I really need is also the second blessing. We need. Yes, the experience of the spirit baptism. Otherwise, we're only second-rate Christians. Now, those who experience this spirit baptism also experience such things as speaking in tongues, feelings of euphoria, visions, emotional outbursts of various kinds. Some even claim to be slain by the spirit, meaning they have been knocked to the ground by the spirit. Another big aspect of the Pentecostal and the charismatic movement is their claim that they're still today, yes, receiving direct revelation from God. It's their favorite line is, God told me or the Spirit told me. And so they claim God still gives new revelation to them personally. The Bible as we have it is not enough. Yes, as one of the leaders of the charismatic movement said, God is giving additional revelation today. Christians can add to the Bible. And so, yes, the Spirit supposedly still speaks to them either through an audible voice or through a vision or through a dream. Now, before we think that the Pentecostal and the charismatic movements don't have much effect, think again. How many have been caught up in these movements here in North America, but then especially in the third world countries. Just ask our missionaries in Brazil about this. 
As the numbers of those claiming to be Pentecostal or charismatic seem always to be growing. And why do we as Reformed Church confess then concerning the Holy Spirit? As our confession before us this afternoon, Lord's Day 20, is rather short, rather concise. Some might even think that we neglect the work of the Spirit in, in our confession in the Heidelberg Catechism. But, but just look at the title over Lord's Day 20. It says there, God, the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification. And so this and the, and the two Lord's Days which follow deal with the work of the Spirit. And actually the Spirit's work is mentioned often throughout the entire catechism. Now Lord's Day 20 points us out to the number one task of the Spirit in our personal lives. As the Holy Spirit is given to you and given to me to make each one of us by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits. Indeed, the Spirit directs us in faith to our Savior, to the benefits we have with him. But how does the Spirit give us faith? And how does the Spirit make us by true faith share in Christ? And how do we know about Christ and his benefits? Yes, how does the Spirit do all of this? What is this tool? What is this instrument? Well, beloved, his tool, his instrument is his word, the gospel. Oh, this is not mentioned here in Lord's Day 20. But it is mentioned in the other Lord's Days of the Catechism. Lord's Day 7, Lord's Day 25. For example, it says there, this faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the preaching of the gospel. Yes, by the preaching of the word. You see, the spirit and the word are connected. And so let's not do as the Pentecostal and the charismatic movements do. That is, diminish this connection between spirit and word. And so this afternoon, let's pay attention to the spirit and the word. Let us see how the Spirit inspired the Word. And let us also see how the Spirit enlightens or illumines us to understand the Word. And when the Spirit does these things, we may, yes, receive faith. And by true faith, yes, then share in Christ and all his benefits. And so God's Word then comes to you this afternoon as the church has summarized it and confesses it in Lord's Day 20 under this theme. Using the word, the Holy Spirit makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. And we'll pay attention to two things. First, that the Spirit inspired the word. And second, that the Spirit illumines us to understand the word. I repeat, using the word, the Spirit makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. We see that the Spirit inspires the word and the Spirit illumines us to understand the word. It's God, the Holy Spirit. That is our focus this afternoon. Who is the Holy Spirit? Let's note well what I ask here. Who is the Holy Spirit? Realize the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. Though the Holy Spirit, beloved, is the third person of the Trinity. He is the third person of our triune God. 
as this must be said. For there has been the belief, the teaching out there for years that somehow the Spirit is not a person. He's not really God. But just the power of God. The instrument of God. As this heretical belief was already there in the time of the early church. There were those who denied the person, the divinity of of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the reasons why the Nicene Creed was written. As it was written to make clear, abundantly clear to all those that the Holy Spirit is God. Yes, the Holy Spirit has the same divine nature as the Father and the Son. He has the same attributes, he has the same characteristics as the Father and the Son. For example, as the Father is eternal and the Son is eternal, so the Spirit is eternal. And yes, as the Father is without beginning or end and the Son is without beginning or end, so the Spirit is without beginning or end. Indeed, the Holy Spirit did not come into existence only at Pentecost. Yes, this must be said. For there are those who would have us believe that God exists at different times in different modes. They say, yes, from the beginning of the world to the coming of God's Son in the flesh. They say God only existed as the Father. And then they say, well, Jesus was here on earth and God only existed as a Son. And then, and then since Pentecost, they say God has only existed as the Spirit. Beloved, what nonsense. This goes against the very clear testimony of God's word. God's word says that the Spirit together with the Father and the Son have existed from eternity. And the Holy Spirit did not just start his work at Pentecost. He was already at work at the very beginning. He was in fact active in the creation of this world. Is so we know from his word, read Genesis 1 verse 1. There it says, the Holy Spirit moved over the face of the deep. Yet there in the very beginning. Yes, the Father sent forth the Spirit to help create this world. It is the Spirit that gave beauty and form to this world. And it is the Spirit who is active in upholding this world and everything in it, including you and me. It says, it says in Job 34, if God withdrew his spirit and breath, all mankind would perish together and man would return to the dust. Beloved, the spirit was not only busy with with the work of creating and upholding this world. The spirit was also busy in the work of Jesus Christ's redemption. So we know from his word Yes, the Spirit was already involved in the conception of Jesus Christ. And yes, as Jesus Christ grew, as he matured, he only did this with the help of the Spirit. And it's the Spirit who equipped Jesus Christ for his work. It is the Holy Spirit who helped Jesus Christ resist the temptations there in the desert. It's the Holy Spirit who enabled Jesus Christ to preach with great wisdom and boldness. It is the Spirit who empowered Jesus Christ to perform miracles. 
It's the Spirit who strengthened him so that he could offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And beloved, it's also the Holy Spirit who, who also then helps apply Christ's work of redemption to each and every one of us. He is the one who helps us live our lives of sanctification. And how does the Spirit help us apply the work of Christ? How does he help us live the life of sanctification? How does he do this? Well, with this word. Yes, the word itself is the work of the Spirit. And this word, beloved, is, is vital to our life of faith. Yes, the word itself is the work of the Spirit. God's Spirit inspired the word. So we read in 2 Timothy 3, that well-known text, one which we do well to know by heart. It's there we read, all All scripture are God-breathed. All scriptures. Now what does the word scriptures mean? The original? The writings. These writings were God-breathed. Every word written was breathed out by God the Spirit. This confirms what we already can read in the Old Testament. As God said to Moses there in Exodus 4, Go and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. As God also said by Jeremiah the prophet, All that I command you, you shall speak. Behold, I will put my words in your mouth. And so, yes, these men in the Old Testament went out to speak God's word. They spoke God's word with conviction, with authority. His people could hear them say, thus says the Lord God. Indeed, God commanded the apostles and prophets to speak his word. But besides his command to speak, he also gave the command to write down what was spoken. And how often don't we read this in God's word? It says, God said to Moses in Exodus 17, write this down as something to be remembered. And so God had his prophets and apostles make a written copy of much of that spoken word. And so yes, God the Spirit was active in the speaking and the writing of his word. It all came forth from his mouth. Yeah, sure, what was written down was written down by men. As God used sinful men to write down his word, we have his writings. We have the scriptures. Now in writing down the spirit-breathed words, God also made use not of one but many men. And he guided them in such a way that they wrote exactly, exactly what he wanted them to write. Yet, beloved God, the Spirit did not ignore the personality of the human writer. He didn't force them to write in a uniform style. He used their personal gifts and talents. Yes, each writer received God's word and wrote it each in his own style, each according to his own education. And so we have, yes, 66 books here. 
And each book is different. The style differs from writer, human writer to human writer. Is very much then reflecting the different talents of the human writer, the personality of the human writer. Yes, the physician Luke wrote in a different style, in a different way than the prophet Amos. Luke wrote very much like how a physician or a doctor might write. And Amos wrote very much how like a farmer would write. You look at the prophecy of Amos. He can see that Amos is a farmer. He used farmer's words. Just listen how he addressed the, the arrogant women of Samaria. He said to them, hear this, you cows of Bashan. That's farmer's language. And beloved, the words of Amos, the words of Luke, the words of the others, were the words chosen by none other than God, God the Spirit. And the thoughts they express in God's revelation. And beloved, the Spirit's work of breathing out the word is complete. We have the complete scriptures. As we say, the canon of scripture is complete. The Bible as we have it is, is complete. It's composed of 66 books. As one unified message testifies in all places to that wonderful news that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. And so we may speak here of the holy scriptures. Yes, this is what the Holy Spirit has set apart as this complete word of salvation in Jesus Christ. Now this often raises the question in the minds of many, well, why these 66 books? How do we know that these books are the holy word of God, the holy scriptures, the inspired word of God? Well, especially because the holy scriptures, the Holy Spirit witnesses in our hearts that they are from God. That's what we confess in the Belgian Confession. Indeed, as we read God's word, as we hear the preaching and teaching of God's word, the Holy Spirit works in us. He opens our hearts, he enlightens our minds, and so we are convinced that this is the truth of God. This is his complete word. And so we don't receive a vision in which God says these are the, are the books which form the Bible. We don't hear a little voice in, in, our, in our head saying these books are, are my word. No, the spirit works through the reading, through the preaching, through the teaching of the word. And in that way we are convinced, convinced in faith that this is indeed the complete word, that there's nothing more needed. Now there are another two reasons two less important reasons why we accept these 66 books as God's word. One is that the church has also received these, these books as God's word. Yes, throughout the history of the church, the church has accepted these 66 books. The church has made a list of which books form God's word. We have that list in the Belgian Confession. You can go home and take a look at that list. But let's be clear. The church didn't make the word. It didn't determine which books would be in there. 
No, the church was born of the word. The other reason why we accept these 66 books as God's word is because of the evidence within them. When you read this word, how often do you not see the prophecies mentioned in the old are fulfilled in the old and in the New Testament? For example, in Genesis 15, we read of God telling Abraham before he had any children, He was going to have many children who would be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And this prophecy was fulfilled many years later. Another example, Isaiah 45 verse 1. God moved Isaiah to speak of a future king, King Cyrus. As Isaiah spoke of this king by name. It's 200 years before Cyrus was born, Isaiah received from God that message and That name was given to him. And yes, it was under Cyrus that the people of Israel were returned to the promised land. Again, this is clear evidence. And the Lord God had told Isaiah what was going to happen. And in due time, it did happen as we read in in Ezra 1. It's the things foretold in God's word were fulfilled and are still being fulfilled today. Points to the truthfulness, the dependability of God's words, the completion of God's word. And yes, so the scriptures are complete. We have the full and complete word of God. Nothing is to be added or taken away from this. And yes, coming from God, then his word is also infallible. This means that his word is trustworthy. It's true in every respect. His word is without error. And as such, then they have God's authority and and we need to submit to them. And yet, beloved, the God-breathed word as we have it here comes under attack today. Comes under attack from charismatics, Pentecostals. From what they say, you would think that the word of God is not completed and the canon is not closed. It's not complete and that God is still giving new words, new revelation today. So many claim, yes, God is still giving him his word like he gave the prophets and the apostles. And so you hear them say, well, God told me. God told me. Yes, that's the anthem of the Pentecostal and the charismatic movements. God told me. And so you hear all kinds of private prophecies by all kinds of people believing that God still... God still speaks to them today. Pat Robertson, televangelist, claims the Spirit still gives him directly words of knowledge. Another leading charismatic believes that Jesus talks to him directly as he shaves every morning. And supposedly, if you want to receive a private revelation from God, you can go to a listening seminar put on by a Pentecostal group called the School of the Prophets to learn how to receive such such a prophecy, such a revelation. Beloved, are the words they speak really the word of God in the same level as what we have here? Beloved, God's word tells us to test the spirits, to test what they say against God's word as we have it here. 
And when we do this, when we do this faithfully, then we will see what much of what is said by them is not God's word. How often is it not false? And if not false, it's completely frivolous. God's word as we have it here is complete. The canon is closed. The truth is there is no fresher nor more intimate revelation from God the Spirit today than what we have here in the scriptures, the Bible. God doesn't give us any more private revelation, a private word to help us walk in our life before him. As we read there in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Scripture is sufficient as we have it. It offers all what we need for a life of good works, a life of thanksgiving, a life of faith in Jesus Christ. But then that raises another question. How then does God's Spirit work with this completed work in us? That brings us to our second point. The Spirit illumines us to understand the Word. As we've been blessed with the complete Word of God. And this Word is clear. Yes, God's Word is clear on all things that are necessary for our salvation, for our growth in Jesus Christ. It's not to say that everything in God's word is equally plain and clear. Now, as the apostle Peter says in his second letter, chapter 3, and he's speaking here about Paul's letters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So from that passage, it's clear that there are passages which are more difficult to understand than, than others. Yet, beloved, the essential message of God's word is clear. Those things which are necessary to be known, to be believed for salvation in Jesus Christ are clearly laid out in some passage of scripture or another that not only those who are really educated but also those who are not so well educated may have sufficient understanding. And therefore, beloved, we reject the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church which says that the clergy, the priests, the bishops, the cardinals, the pope must enlighten the laity, the lay folk to properly understand God's word. That only the priests and the bishops and the cardinals and the pope can really interpret the true meaning of a text of God's word. Beloved, we face the same situation today, similar situation. Today, again, we are being told, even in our own reformed circles, that, that God's word in, in certain chapters can only be properly understood by the scientifically educated. Instead of being pointed to popes and priests for illumination, We are being pointed to those who have PhDs in science. And they say we need the help of scientists to help us just 
Understand really what Genesis 1 means. To interpret properly what those supposedly not so clear words of day and night mean. As they try to have us believe that we should not stick to the plain reading, the very clear reading of Genesis 1. That God our Father created this world and everything in it in six literal days. It's where it clearly says, there was evening, there was morning the first day, there was evening, the morning the second day. Beloved, we believe in the clarity of scriptures, the perspicuity of scriptures, to use big words. We believe that God intended the meaning of his word to be understood by ordinary believers like you and me. So when God's word says, we are saved by Jesus Christ, as God meant just that. And when he described the world as being created in six days, he meant just that. But yes, to simply accept the clear, plain meaning of God's word requires the help of the Spirit. The illumination of the Spirit, or to use other words, the enlightenment of the Spirit. For as the Apostle Paul wrote there in 1 Corinthians 2, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. That is his words, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We need the illumination of the Spirit. We need the enlightenment of the Spirit so we can discern, so that we can understand God's word. For you need to remember, we are sinful human beings. With the fall into sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, we have all become spiritually blinded. As we brought on ourselves this horrible spiritual darkness, and as in our minds we, we suffer from perverseness of judgment, with our minds we are truly foolish. But beloved, not only are our minds corrupted by, our, by sin, but also our wills, our hearts, our emotions. In fact, our entire being has been corrupted by sin. And so, yes, of ourselves, we have no spiritual understanding of God's words, no spiritual discernment of the truth of, of Scripture. And so, yes, we need to pray for the illumination of the Spirit when this word is opened. Yes, when we hear God's word being read and preached and taught here, when we're reading and studying God's word at home and at study society we must first pray for the illumination, for the enlightenment of the Spirit. And also as minister, when I prepare during the week to preach God's word, I must pray for the illumination, for the enlightenment of the Spirit. It's only in that way that I can understand the scriptures, discern the truth. And so realize, beloved, the illumination or enlightenment of the Spirit is different from the inspiration of the Spirit. Now the Spirit inspired the Word. And His work of inspiration is complete. God's Word is complete. What we need now is the illumination of the Spirit to understand this inspired Word. To put it in other words, we need the enlightenment of the Spirit to spiritually discern the meaning of what we read and what we hear here. Without the Spirit's help, 
will make no spiritual sense to us. And so may the Spirit help us to understand what we read, what we hear, or what we study from God's Word. Now, God's words are to be understood in the same way words are understood in your everyday life. Sure, God's words does use at times figurative language, symbolism. These things are quite clear in the places in God's word where they're used. But otherwise, we seek the literal understanding of God's word, not some kind of mystical or secret understanding. We seek the literal, the plain understanding of God's words. Now, to understand God's word, then we must read, we need to study this word in its context, in its historical context. We must understand the history of the time of writing. For example, if we wish to understand the letter of Paul to the Corinthians, which we read from, we do well to consider that time in history. We need to consider the characteristics of the city of Corinth, the culture of that city, the customs, the habits of the people in that city, its history, its many pagan practices. So we consider the context, the historical context. Then we also need to look at the actual words as they're arranged in God's word. You need to pay attention to the grammar, to the construction of the sentences in God's word. Grammar may not have been your favorite subject at school, yet... Yet we need to learn our grammar at school. That's why one of the reasons why we have a reform school. Helps us in our understanding of God's word. Is to understand God's word, we need to know what nouns and verbs are, what prepositions and conjunctions are, what pronouns and adjectives are. We need to know what a sentence is, what a subordinate clause is. For we need to follow the right order of the words and phrases to know precisely what God's word says. And so a good education is important for us as reformed believers. And then also in seeking to understand God's word, we need to compare God's word with God's word. We must let the more clear passages on God's word shed light on the the less clear, the more obscure passages of God's word. Realizing that no part of God's word contradicts another. For beloved, there is one author, God the Spirit. And his word is one. It's a unity. There's no internal contradictions. And so by this help of the Spirit, the illumination, the enlightenment of the Spirit, we can come to a clear and consistent understanding of his word. Apart from the Spirit, we cannot come to that that true understanding. And so, yes, then, beloved, with the Word, the Spirit convicts us of our sins. And the Spirit gives us knowledge from His Word of of our Savior Jesus Christ and all His benefits. It's from the Word that we know of the forgiveness of our sins, righteousness, eternal life. He also here in his word gives us knowledge how we are to live in thankfulness. 
And realize the Spirit does more than just enlighten our minds with His Word. For that same regenerating Spirit also penetrates into our hearts, into our wills. He opens and softens our closed and hardened hearts. So we receive believing hearts. So we're brought by the Spirit to a heartfelt repentance. So he makes our stubborn and unwilling wills truly willing and obedient. So that we want to do God's will. We want to do what he commands in his word. And yes, so with the Spirit's help. In our hearts come to faith in Jesus Christ. And with the Spirit's help. We want to live in obedience to his word. And yes, it is the Spirit then that produces good fruit which shows then in our everyday lives. And it is with the help of the Spirit that we're able to persevere in the faith to the very end. And so, beloved, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we receive the Spirit. We cannot separate faith in Jesus Christ from receiving the Spirit. It's not a matter of there being a first blessing, of believing in Jesus Christ, and then needing a second blessing, the spirit baptism. As Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, those who believe in Jesus Christ have the spirit. Yes, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, has been given to you and to me to make us by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, all his blessings. And so may we be filled with the Spirit. And in this way, understand God's words. We come to faith and go forward in faith. Yes, faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.